Welcome to another amazing episode of Kazi's Audio Experience. This is the podcast where we're not only going to sharpen our technical skills, but we're going to learn to become profitable as filmmakers. What's going on, everybody? Another week, another live. And this time, I'm going live with Kenneth. This dude is epic. He's a DP. Anytime I go live with a cinematographer, I get pumped because that's my thing. That's my thing. Went to school for it. It's just something that's really close to my heart. So this one is for you as much as it is for me. What's up, guys? How's it going? What's going on, Kenneth? How's it going, brother? Pretty good. How about yourself? Good. Hey, so I'm going to do a quick intro and then you can, you can take it away, okay? Sounds good, man. All right, so guys, Kenneth is a cinematographer. He is based out in New York as of now, and he's done work for Dolce & Gabbana, Ralph Lauren. I mean, he's and he started from from like gaffer all the way up top, okay? So that's very important to know because most of you probably are not just have the luxury to start out, you know, as a DP. So he can fill in the blanks for you and genuinely I feel like he can save you years of trial and error. So that's gonna be a big one. That's why you gotta drop in questions. And thank you to those that did drop in tons of questions. It was so helpful. I got so much stuff here that I don't know if we're gonna be able to fit it in an hour. Um, and go nope. check out Kenneth Keeler DP. So Kenneth K-E-E-L, er uh dp so go check out his page and make sure give him a follow check out his work his website is freaking incredible so do all of that and kenneth thank you so much for joining us brother um how's it going kenneth where do you want to start kenneth give me give me uh you know it was first of all it was super helpful dude like all everything that you sent over was like just amazing why don't you do like uh, just summarize everything? Like, give us the origin story, Kenneth's origin story, you know, and kind of just sum it up. Sounds good. Honestly, I, so I grew up in Reno, Nevada. I started in like the snowboard skate world, where I feel like a lot of DP begin. And at first, I was like, "That's all I want to do is film that stuff." Then I went to film school, and it opened up an entire world of commercials, narrative, all that. And, um, yeah, so once I was in, I went to Brooks Institute of Photography in Ventura, California. Okay, awesome. And after that, I moved to L.A., and I started just doing G&E work, and then slowly worked my way up to Gaffer, and gaffed for about six years. Uh, in between that, I was, you know, DPing small things here and there, little commercials, short films, anything I could kind of fill in in between. Yeah. Uh, and then I kind of went into the reality route unexpectedly, and then uh, stayed with that for a while. I mean, money was good. It was consistent work. You know, I was young. So it was a change from being freelance younger and then going into having some more consistent work. It was five months out of the year, two seasons a year. Oh, my God. Dude, that's a dream. Um, that's a dream. It was a dream. But here's the big thing. It was great work. Don't get me wrong. But I wasn't passionate about it. And that took a toll. And I didn't realize it until three years after I was doing it. And that's when I realized like, okay, I need to make the jump. I always wanted to DP. So I saved up for a year and turned down one season and I had the other one on hold. So I was like, all right, let's see what happens for these first six months. And then after that six months came, I turned down the other one and there I was, I went full-time DPing and it was a struggle at first. Like, don't get me wrong. It wasn't like out of nowhere, I was getting all this work. I was known as a gaffer. I came up, you know, DP'd selectively in between. And so that's kind of what I was known for was gaffing. Right. And so it took a lot of time to build that 
network back up and let people know that, hey, I'm not gaffing anymore. Right. I kind of fire under my ass, and I actually told a lot of my jobs that I wasn't gaffing anymore, mm-hmm. that, which made me work harder. So instead of having that as a backup that I could run to, right. I kind of just told everyone, like, I'm out. And then it just went from there. I took anything and everything I could shoot, uh, you know, free, paid, whatever, shorts, commercials, spec stuff with friends, just whatever I could get my hands on to shoot and meet new people and build a reel and just go from there. And then it was towards the end of the first year that I kind of got hooked up with College Humor. And I started shooting some, they started doing like a Netflix type app. And I started shooting some full-time series with them. I did three 16-episode shows. Um, There were more game shows and, you know, like kind of one of them was sort of like Jeopardy, but, you know, a bunch of nerd stuff. And they were really fun and it was a cool experience. And that kind of gave me some nice consistent work as a DP. And then I did another year in L.A. And after two years being a DP full time, I decided that I wanted to make the jump to move to New York. I had been in L.A. for 12 years, so I just kind of wanted a change. And so me and my girlfriend decided New York was where it was going to be. And so we moved out here and I kind of had to start all over knowing that it was a situation where I was kind of taking two steps back to take four forward. I mean, the idea, you know, being a bicoastal DP was appealing to me and yeah, and here I am. So, so dude, this is, there's so many great things in there because first thing, you know, I, I'm right there with you because I've been freelancing forever. So I get that, you know, where you have to say no sometimes and you have to, if you're switching paths, like, you know, you have to kind of do that thing where you're like, I don't edit anymore. I'm a colorist now because I'm part of like, you know, editor's guild. And it's like, it's hard for me to leave that, you know, and kind of move to the color grading world. But, you know, if I just feel like as much as we like to think that, you know, in this day and age, like, you know, you can do a bunch of different things. I feel like still specialty does pay more. And like, once you find that niche, you know, there's something to say about that. And, you know, the, the thing that I like what you said is that, you know, the risk that you had to take and that so many people are kind of stuck in that limbo. And dude, I'm talking about friends that are in Chicago because I'm from Chicago. I moved okay. to California like 10 years ago, but, nice. and I went to school in Chicago art Institute. So it's like, there's so many friends that are hitting me up now. They're 10 years behind. Like nothing ever happened in Chicago. They stuck in Chicago because they were like, oh, we're just going to do this small gig here for six months and then move to do this other gig there. And I kept telling them, guys, make the jump because California is crazy. There's so many opportunities. You got to come out here. And that never happened. And now 10 years later, they're hitting me up. Literally, one of my dudes is married and he's hitting me up now. And he's like, hey, uh, my wife and I are going to move to California. Can we just stay with you for like six months or something? And I'm like thinking to myself, like, dude, come on. Like, you know, t- why, yeah. w- why did you wait like for 10 years? You know, you don't want to say that to anyone. So I feel like this is really important for people to hear that, you know, these are the decisions that you just have to make, and especially for you being established gaffer. And I'm sure there's tons of money and it's consistent work. It's like, yeah, it was, I mean, life was good. I, I really can't complain. I mean, it wasn't, I wasn't living paycheck to paycheck, you know? It's like I had consistency, which was nice. Right. Uh, I just, and, and don't get me, like, I learned uh, so much from gaffing. Honestly, like, there's so many different routes you can take. That's not, you know, you can come up the camera route. You can just start out DPing. I mean, that's you know. That's my question for you. So right after your origin story, I was going to ask you. So 
one, I already saw a question. Somebody asked, what is a gaffer? It's right in front of you. So for first question is, what is the job of a gaffer? And then how it helps one become a better DP. So you want to, so, yeah. A gaffer is the chief lighting technician on set. He's the DP's right-hand man. He kind of runs the, you know, the whole lighting department. Uh, so however many electrics are under him, he's the main person that I'm talking to on set in terms of, you know, when I ask for a specific lighting, quality of light, whatever, and also scouting, like they're with me from the get-go and we kind of plan ahead. And, you know, a lot of the times it depends on each DP, but if I know the gaffer really well, I tend to let them add their own style. It's like I have the overall look and what we want to do, but, you know, a lot of the times with the gaffers I work with often, they're the ones selecting the specific unit. Now, if I go you know, work outside the country and it's someone I don't know very well and we don't have that second hand, I'm definitely a little more specific in terms of let's put a 1.2 out here and X, Y, Z, whatever, whatever the combo is that day. Right. But yeah, the gaffer is the main person who kind of manages the crew under the DP and then, you know, they coincide. So for you coming from there, then my question to you is going to be, because when I because I went to school for cinematography, so I, I majored in cinematography, minor in editing, and you know I was considered like the lighting guy, like in school, like I was just lighting everybody's project. I loved it, right? So my my question is, for me, it was lighting over composition. I don't know if that makes any sense. I, I always broke it down to like there's composition, there's lighting, and you could be good at both but then you like kind of favor one. So just even hearing that you're coming from gaffing background, do you tend to just like get like more joy out of lighting and what kind of lighting and this and that, or is it both like composition and lighting is just hand in hand? I think it depends on the job. You know, some jobs are more lighting heavy than others and some are more technical in terms of the camera side. But I mean, I definitely have a love for lighting. I always have. Yeah, and, yeah. that's I the mean, best part. You know, it's definitely my forte. But, I mean, to, to answer your question, because I didn't, in terms of the gaffing side and taking that information towards being a DP, I mean, it was everything. A lot of the times, DPs are not working with other DPs. So it's you and whatever you're creating. Whereas me working as a gaffer for so many years, I got to work with different DPs mm -hmm. and see all the different ways they like. Because there's no one way. Right. Uh, one DP might like using tungsten units. The other DP might like using, you know, LEDs more. They have, you know, their specific diffusion combos they like. Right. And so it would, everyone does something different. So it was cool to work in that realm and see and work with a bunch of different DPs. And I think that's where I gained so much was seeing all the options. And really, like, I was learning, man. Like, although I knew what I was doing, there was every time I worked with a new DP, I learned something new and I would note that. Every so, day, dude, yeah. Lighting and managing the team under me as the gaffer, I was sitting back and watching how they worked and listening to how they were talking. And, you know, I mean, that was more school than school was for me. To this is so this is where I'm headed. That's so perfect. You just like ended it perfectly because I was going to go into like it sounded like for you, school did some good, sh good stuff. And yeah. I, I want you to kind of talk about the pros and cons because I am on the fence and more toward like in 2020 nobody needs school that's that's my mantra today but like you know so i want to hear your thoughts on it so when i went to school it was like between the film and digital like revolution so mm -hmm. honestly my first few years there we were all shooting on film 1635 and then they started you out shooting stills 
and that's how you learn to tell a story. And then, so for me, I feel like when I went, it was, I feel like more the norm route of like, you go to film school and then you become a filmmaker. But the biggest thing that I got from school, although we had lighting and stages, like there was the opportunity to make mistakes and learn and just play around. But the, the biggest thing I took away from school was the network that I had. Okay. Everyone, all my friends and everyone that we worked on projects with, those are the people, a lot of them that I still work with today. Oh, wow. And for me, that was, you know, the big takeaway. Don't get me wrong. I learned a ton and it was a great experience. But I think nowadays, yeah, you don't really need film school. And to be honest, I mean, I'll be up front. Like, I'm still in debt from film school. Same, you know, same. But that's the big thing. And it's a burden when you're freelance that doesn't make it easy. You have, you know that extra payment that you have to make sure you cover every month. And, you know, the biggest thing with freelance is save and keep a low overhead. In exactly. My mind. No, 100. And, yeah, I operate the same way. That's the one downside to it. But there's, there's positives and there's no wrong route for sure. But I think nowadays there's so many, I mean, cameras are so good nowadays and there's so many different lighting units and anything. I mean, you don't even need lights. You could right. use China. You can start out as a DP and learn from there and get on sets and just, learn from working with other people and so i think there's multiple different routes and neither is wrong i'm with you i'm i'm also kind of on the fence of which one is what but i know a ton of people who didn't go to film school and they're very successful and i know a bunch of people who did and they're also successful i my take on it is this um i think i i couldn't agree more with you on on that front but i think my my outlook is different because I went to school in Chicago and then came to California, so my networking does not exist. So, like, the, and, and anyone that I talk to, they talk about how big the networking thing is, especially in L.A. So many of my friends are working on big jobs and they're just like, oh, it's all through the networking. And I never got to experience it, so if that is the biggest payoff, then I kind of got ripped off because I never took advantage of that and it didn't really exist in Chicago. We have like Digital Kitchen and now we have the mill there and that's the end of it. Like this is where it starts and that's where it ends. So it's like it's, there's not that much, you know, that's happening there. Um, so that's yep. one. Two, like you said, I mean, paying the loans, I'm going to be paying it till I'm like 38 or, you know, 40 <laughs> or something. So there's that. Um, but one thing that I will say and I've noticed is that people who go to school have a thicker skin and they can take feedback and i think we develop that habit you know because we show our work to everyone even the slacker who never shows up even he's going to be like putting in his two two cents and you got to sit back and listen to it so i feel like you develop this like i said thick skin where you just you're okay with it and then you can turn it around and be positive about how you can answer that whereas the self-taught people that i know they could be very close-minded at times. Like I've, I've met some people where you just say the first thing and they flip, you know, it's like everything that they do is perfect and then nothing exists outside of that. I don't know if you have the same experience. Yeah, I mean, like we definitely got critiqued hard in yeah. film school and yeah. you get it from everyone and, and it's so subjective. So not necessarily whatever's being critiqued is wrong. You just hear about it and you do, I think, grow a thick skin for sure, whereas you know, I mean, and that's going to happen your entire career. It doesn't matter how big you are. I mean, Roger Deakins, I'm sure, is getting critiques. Somewhere, exactly. Somewhere, you know what I mean? Whether it's coming from the studio or peers or audience or whatever. All right, I got a, I got a question for you. So um, this is what, very interesting to me, and I think you kind of answered it, but I just want to know if there's another, you know, a little story behind it. But so you build your clientele here. Like, I mean, you go to school here. 
everything is happening in LA, people usually do the opposite. I mean, this is like the end all be all. People end up in LA and you kind of went and, and New York is not small. And especially if you want to do cool stuff and like, you know, work with Adidas and this and that, like all that cool stuff is happening in New York. Um, but I still want to just hear from you. Is there more than just like we love New York and we wanted to move? I mean, yeah, we, you know, obviously we love New York and we had some friends here, but for me, it was the second largest hub of the film industry. Um, also, too, one of the routes that I want to go into is the feature route, which I've done one small one, but, you know, I'd love to just mix commercials and features for the rest of my career, but okay. you have to work. Yeah. Um, I feel like, although there's still, you know, the, the grass is greener, although there's still an indie feature world in LA, I feel yeah. like it's a bigger out here, and I think that just comes from tax incentives and you know, I'm sure there's other factors, but so that was one thing that was appealing to me. And then also too, just having both markets, that was yeah. the biggest, and just branching out. I mean, in LA, although I was decent at networking, I feel like I didn't have to work as hard at networking because I went to school and like there was always, I was always meeting new people through other friends and whatever, where moving here, we you know when I'm 30, right. I, I didn't know anyone, you know, and you yeah. don't have school to meet people and it's not like you have a nine to five where you right. you know it's just you have to start from scratch and right. so that definitely the number one thing when i first came out here was like i have to grind so hard in networking to get myself out here because if you don't i mean no one will know who you are you know what i mean so i started going to every camera house party that was happening any meetups i mean anything you could think That's of and it's hard like I'm not a fan of it. It's never fun to go into a group. And I was going by myself because I didn't have like yeah, a cool yeah, group yeah. of friends. But yeah. you walk into this party of 50 people by yourself and you have to nudge into conversations and just and, go for it. And the thing is, in our industry, I feel like there's just such a click. I mean, it's like there, there is this like high school, you know, phenomenon that just happens like where everybody builds these little clicks. I mean, there's these four dudes that go to lunch together and every day they go to lunch together and they do their own thing. It's not really like where you can you know, it could be like versatile a little bit more. So that's one thing that I've noticed. It's always a click. I mean, I worked uh, as a videographer when I first started, like right out of college. And I worked with this uh, motorsports team and I would travel around the country just shooting like, you know, documentaries, like little pieces on these race car drivers. Cool gig, uh -huh. really cool gig. Got to see like 35 plus states in the country in like two, three years, which was awesome. But there was just always this click, you know, like just the, the just the group of three and four. And I always and, and like everybody's like this with their cameras. Nobody wants to show you like if they were to show you that they're shooting at F4, all of a sudden now you can take their job. That, that's a whole different conversation. I mean, I got so many questions. I don't want to get into it, but you know what I'm talking about. No, definitely. It is clicky. And I think, I mean, I'm guilty of it, too. It's like you find that core group of people, at least for me, like in my crew. Yeah. And you stick with them because you get along well, you know, it makes it more fun on set. I mean, that's they cool. get, they know how you work. I mean, you guys have a good time. And so I would say that's one reason. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, to the point of like hiding settings and stuff, I feel like it's going away a little bit now. I mean, a lot of people I feel like are sharing more of the behind the scenes and what they're right. doing. It's not always necessarily, I mean, I could go copy Roger Deacon settings and it's not going to look as good. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? so much more involved I feel like than just that but no it's definitely a task to try and make your way in because a lot of people too nowadays it's like they're established so they have DPs they want to work with and right you 
just have to wait for that moment when their DP can't do it, and hopefully you're the one that they call next. Exactly. No, and, and just touching on that for one second, you know, the behind the scenes and sharing what you know and, like, providing value, I think we got to thank the Internet and social media for that because it just opened up that channel, the floodgate, and I feel like, just like you said, I mean, I tell that to people all the time. Like, every time I'm putting out a tutorial, I'm like, guys, this is how I graded this commercial and that's it there is nothing else that went down there like this is how i right. did it so now if somebody takes that go go take my job at visio let's see if you can i mean you know because no. it, it, it because there's more than that it's like there's this relationship and rapport that i built that goes way past like somebody's gonna go hey got kazi's no tree like can i work for you now and i'm gonna do it for half the price like it just does not work like that you know so i feel like the scarcity mentality, I'm going to be honest with you, the scarcity mentality is coming from the, the, the old timers, the top dogs that are just like literally suffocating everybody. And that one thing that I am all about and this decade, the 2020 to 2029, my goal is to just revamp that mindset. Like that's, that's it. Like I'm even taking less client work to do more of this because I want that mindset to be shifted for people that have been in the field like you and I and people that are up and comers and that mentality needs to shift because it makes me freaking puke seven times a day when I think about how these top dogs just tell people how color grading is only reserved for gods and nobody else can touch it and color science this and color science that and you don't know this and you don't know that. It's just got to go. Like I'm here to like bury those like, yeah, that whole mentality, you know? No. Yeah, and I mean, like, I think another thing, too, is when I started, we didn't have all of this. So, I mean, I try my best to give back any information that I can. I mean, the other day I had a buddy call me and, you know, ask about anamorphic advice. And it's like, if I have the time, I'm totally open to it. So, I mean, never hesitate me up because I feel like the mentorship vibe that used to be kind of back in the day has yeah. sort of died. But it's also had this cool rebirth online where you can literally learn anything right. and then the biggest thing after you learn those things is to go do it you know practice and just go out and shoot and so that's the I biggest mean, one because so many people get stuck because there's just too much knowledge now so you got film riot you got shane herbert you know like you got so many different portals right. so people will watch all of that and then they're going to be like can i just watch one more can i see one more can i see one more then i'll be ready but i always tell people Learn and apply. Like stick with one resource, whatever your resource is, like whatever it is, whether it's my channel for color grading or somebody else's channel, like Color Grading Central, stick with one source, like get inside that person's head, pick one thing and then apply it, apply it, apply it because you're going to fail seven times and then the eighth time is going to click and that Eureka is you're always looking for. That's the, that's the thing. That's the sauce, you know? And uh, no. I feel like people... It, it, it's just one of those things that's being tossed around and we talk about it and all that, but it's like people don't, if somebody just sits down and instead, instead of listening, like actually hear that, you know, those words, because those are the things like so many times you and I will listen to Scorsese or, or, you know, Tarantino says that I'm the biggest thief in the world. You know, all he does is like just steal ideas from others. And then he's like, that's what I, how I make my movies. And somebody can just hear the statement and move on. But like when I listen to it, it hits me and I'm like, dude, like that's his secret like this is it like he just gave it to you like it is that simple you know you could go copy sorry my phone no, a notification. you can go copy someone's lighting but it's like 
don't be afraid to move away from that. Like right. my biggest thing, don't be afraid to try something new because that's your voice. That's you. Yes. If you think it'll look cool, do because just because someone else doesn't think that, there's a bunch of people out there that'll like that same thing. So and you, and you find your taste that way. I mean, don't be afraid to put stuff out there and put your work out there because you're going to at some point. So why not start now? Oh no, dude. So it's like one hundred. Apply them, but then move away from the rules. You know, break them, try new things. You know, right? Turn up, whatever. You know, try anything and everything, and that's where you're really gonna learn. And I think find your voice and the way you want to light things. I think you know, fake it till you make it thing is dead. I think in this day and age, the moves like the 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 moves that you made were you know you come to a realization this is what I want to do with my life right now and I'm ready to take the hit but it's gonna be okay everything is gonna turn out okay and then you just go do it um, I think that has way more value than people like I know so many people that are just one-man band but then they're hidden behind like this company and they're the CEO of this company and I'm always telling these people that guys you don't understand you're hurting yourself more than helping yourself because ultimately you're not going to get hired because as soon as you go as a company then why wouldn't somebody hire company three than you to color something because if you're at that caliber then all of a sudden you gotta like hold be held to that those standards you know what i mean but if you're just straight up be like hey this is what i do that's my shop but i can get you this this and that like there's these pros why you should go with me than somebody else so i feel like that's another reality that you know we got to talk about and let people know that accept it like wherever whichever stage that you're at in your life whatever it is that's all there is to it like i mean zuckerberg was a billionaire when he was freaking in his 20s and i'm in my you know i'm 34 and i haven't made made a million dollars in a year it, it is what it is let's just keep going let's see when i hit that you know it's like and it's a shame. i mean the the film industry is not a overnight situation you know it's like there's a lot of time and effort and you have to grow and by shooting all those things that gives you credibility and you know yes and you slow level up and so like don't i had a you know i went through a phase where i was like why am i not shooting this work why is that and then i realized it's like no this is just where i'm at in my career yes and, you know beginning you know in a relatively long term if you look at the age of deacons and robert richardson and all those big guys you know Jeez. it's like their career has been 40 50 plus years you know Easy, so it's like dude. yeah it'll come and just keep working hard and you know that's i would say that's the biggest thing try not to get caught up in what everyone else is doing and just do you you can't you know? i mean and again it sounds so simple but it is so true because dude if there is anything that i've learned in the last couple of years is that and i want to take your take on it i want to hear your take on it too but if there's one thing that i've learned in the last year year and a half or two years is that it took me my entire life to get to a point where I just went with my gut. Like, I've done it in the past, but it was always like 70-30, you know? So it would always be like the last three people, like whether it's my wife, my brothers, or somebody, like, you know, some my mentor. And then that uh, message got a little bit watered down or whatever, you know? And then it was up until this point where I just kind of went, hey, who cares? For one year... Let me just genuinely run with my gut. I'm talking about any idea that goes through this brain and I go, this sounds like a good idea. Let me just execute and see what happens. And dude, it's ridiculous. 
Like, I mean, all of a sudden, if you go with that, I feel like life gets, life becomes very easy. You know what I mean? Like, I mean, and I feel like, I don't know if the message is coming across, but what I'm saying is that so many people, um, again, going back to that whole thing where, you know, and uh, taking your point where you said, do you, that is a very big, it's a very chunky, big, like real statement. That's a very solid statement because ultimately it's not going to be like what full-time filmmaker does and maybe you want to do like five different you want to make videos and hit these different target audiences you know 17,000 times a day I get asked Kazi why don't you do Premiere Pro tutorials why don't you do a course on Premiere Pro like you will make so much more freaking money because I'm not sold on it like I, I don't care that's not my thing that's not my calling you know I'm not going with it so so maybe your take on this like where do you stand do you actually go with the with the masses, or do you draw the line, or do you play half and half, or how does it go for you? When you say go with the masses, you mean like follow trends in cinematography, or? I'm figuring out how to phrase this, not necessarily follow trends, because I mean, sometimes you gotta do this, right? Like if I were to do a Joker look right now, that's a lot hotter, and it's gonna get picked up and get more eyeballs than if I were to do uh, Deacon's like No Country for Old Men, you know? So I think not necessarily that. I'm talking about, uh, I just wanna expand a little bit more on like how we are talking about like, you know, kind of just b before you find your voice, you keep chasing like the next thing, you know? So where do you draw the line? Where do you get confident enough? When in your life you got confident enough to go, you know what? I understand that this could be big, but this is what I got to do. Yeah, I mean, I don't know. Let me know if this isn't in line with what you're asking, but I remember specifically one, one moment where I was like, oh, okay. I'm at a level playing field with everyone else. I got booked on my first large commercial. It's a half a million dollar budget for a healthcare company. And I'll never forget, you know, I was nervous. I was like, I had done stuff and I'd worked on large things, but like I was in charge and I was a DP and this was my first like large national commercial. So, you know, the nerves were there and I went into set and I met up with the director and I was like, Hey man, what's up? Like, how you doing this morning? And he was like, you know, and this guy's like, OG has been doing it forever. Like he's a great director. Yeah. And he goes like, I'm just a little nervous. And I was like, and that, like, I felt like instantly I was, he was here and I just, we were at the same level. Yeah, yeah, like, yeah. He's been way longer than I have. And it's like, he still feels those nerves here and there wow. too. So it's like that, that was the moment to me where I was like, okay, like this, everyone's kind of going through the same thing. Everyone, even if you're at different stages. And so that like, I mean, the rest of the shoot was just cake. Like, if I had my team, that a yeah. lot of my friends were on the crew, so there was a comfort level after that, yeah, and, like, yeah. the nerves come back, and we just did our thing, you know, and made an awesome commercial. And so, for me, I feel like early on, you know, there's nothing wrong with, like, maybe sticking with certain things that you see and trying those things, but then after you do it for a while, you know, like, the easiest way I can explain it is, like I have specific combos of lighting and diffusion that I really like, you know, and just recently I told myself, I was like, I do these all the time and there's nothing wrong with them. That's just what I enjoy and what I think, you know, towards my taste looks good. But I did a really big lighting test this last weekend just to try out new things and have those in my back pocket. But I did that. So I'm confident yes. that this is what it gives me. And I know because it's really hard on, you know, jobs the to try new job. things. And right. 
Yeah, it's like your gaffer might try something new, knowing what you're going for, lighting wise and quality wise. And when you see that work, he's confident in it. He's like, oh yeah, let's put let's push it through unbleached muslin or whatever. And maybe you don't do that that often, and you see it, and you're like, oh, this looks great. It's really soft. It wraps nicely. Right. And that's when you put it in your back pocket, and you're confident because you've seen it work in front of you. And so by doing all those things, I think that's when you start to really learn to go with your gut because you have that knowledge and you have you've tested it and you've done it all and so you're like yeah this is this is what this is going to give me and i like this and you just have to go with it especially i'm sure you're the same way it's like when we're on set or when you're coloring and a client is with you you have to make decisions fast like you can kind of you know be things lighting wise turn fill off whatever you know you can make tweaks but in the end you have a schedule and you have to stick with your plan and and some things work and then that's when you and your team come together and you make a quick pivot and you go with, you know, the next option. Right. Uh, and that happens, but you just have to learn. That's where going with your gut is efficient is when in a, you know, a time crunch or when the first option doesn't work, you have that confidence in the next thing. And you can say, all right, here's the plan. Let's do X, Y, and Z and commit. And then you go and, you know, hopefully you don't get behind. But I love your answer because, I mean, it's, it's experience and intuition. Uh, charger really quick so keep going i just have to charge my phone no no that's totally fine i mean i love your answer because it sounds like it it's the combination of experience and intuition you know and that plays a role in going with your gut feeling and i think that's pretty solid i'm gonna start reading some questions that came from our audience so first one is like this person wants to know yeah how much are you involved with color grading and when you're on set, are you lighting a certain way because you know you're gonna achieve a certain look in post? Are you involved in color grading or not so much? It depends on the project. Commercials, it's pretty rare if I'm involved in the color grade. I mean, you get, you hopefully have a good rapport with the director and so, you know, you hope that he's also there in the grade and can kind of pass along the look that you guys were trying to achieve from the get-go. Um, I do my best to send over whether it's like rough grades that I do on a still really quick or, you know, even just references and like I'll either send them to the director. If I know who the colorist is, I'll send them that way as well. Um, but for the most part, client kind of takes over. Once again, there are those rare, awesome combos where it's like I do get involved even if it's remotely or, you know, the director's involved and they're right there with client. And so they can kind of, make sure that the integrity of the look you guys were going for stays with it. But there's a lot of times that it's just client. And I mean, that's the beauty of director's cuts is sometimes, I mean, I had a job once that, I mean, it was basically put out on TV and log and it looked like crap, but it is what it is. And client liked it. And that's kind of, at that point, that's all that matters. And then you have your director's cuts that you can, you know, go. This is exactly why I asked this question because I mean, dude, Anytime I edit, I'm really crazy with my sound design. So I go heavy on my sound design. So anytime like I edit, I do my sound design and, and my sound design is pretty dialed in. Like, I mean, it's just right on the money and then it goes to mix and then I will hear it and I'm like, what happened to my reverb? Like, there's supposed to be a freaking reverb here. Like you pull out the reverb and all of a sudden it goes from like, to like, it just, it cuts, you know? It is like, whoa, what happened? And it's like, I just freak out. 
And I feel like I can't even imagine with uh, cinematography and color because, I mean, with these cameras shooting log, you can go in 10 million different directions. So, like, I mean, all the colors that how you want it or even, like, through your, you know, Rec 709 that, you know, you're looking at the monitor when you're shooting it. Like, it's just so different. So much can happen in post. So that's why I thought that it was a pretty good question. I'm heavily involved in the color grade, and I get to usually work very closely with my colorists, and that's the best, so. That, is, realize, that makes all the sense, because it's like music videos and features is where it gets really creative, because otherwise, when you're talking about commercials and stuff, it's always like, anytime I'm grading something, 90% of the time they're just like, uh, make it look really crisp and, you know, like deset everything else and just like make this car pop or like they're just like make it pop just like as simple as that. Like, you know, it just it literally is like that. But every now and then I'm working on projects where the person, you know, the creative director is going to be like, dude, I'm thinking about like the Revenant look. I'm like, OK, that's my dude. No, well, that's too, is there's times where they start off super edgy and they're like, you know, we want it to be moody. And you have to be careful with that word because everyone's moody is completely different. One billion percent. And get in there and you're lighting it and, you know, shooting the boards or whatever. And they're like, ooh, this is a little dark. And you're like, OK, now I know what your threshold is for. Yeah or whatever it is so no i that, hear you oh it's fun I all think right so i want to i want to move on to the question was like do you recommend any books on lighting yeah i mean there's so many out there let me look at my bookshelf right now so set lighting technicians handbook that's a good one in terms of just like tools um the you know what's a good one that just came out there's a book that's about darius kanji and it goes through like every movie and he goes in oh, super about like working with directors and you know his process in terms of you know working with the lab and yeah. with film and stuff so that's a good one as well there's film lighting and you know towards the end remind me i can grab them i have them all in front of me okay um, and i can show you but a lot of the things things like american cinematographer is great hands down the best thing 100 i mean you go through each movie and the dps talks specifically about everything they're doing, which is great. So some of the books, I will say, it's like fairly basic. I got to ask you, how do you recommend getting started with no prior experience? One of the questions. Grab any camera that you have and just shoot something. You know, get your friends on the weekends. It doesn't matter what it is, even if it's just little tests. I mean, try out new cameras if your friend has it and you don't. You know, I would just say the biggest thing for me is like just start shooting anything and everything because like look it doesn't have to be your opus and your best work it's just about doing and applying things and trying you know trying new things and so i would say whether it's an iphone dslr or you have access to larger things it's like just go for it and make little commercials make you know short films even if you just go out and just shoot stuff in your city i mean play around with natural light and what looks good and if you don't have lights that's fine use practicals china balls natural light you know learn learn those basics and then you can add lighting after that so that would be my biggest thing is just go out and have fun that's the best dude i love you for it because it's like one of my core messages is always like frictionless like make the entire process frictionless like the best monitor for color grading is the one you got the best computer for editing is the one that you have like just go like i've seen my little brother edit on his ipad and i'm like what is this life and he does, like he does a good job. I mean, his right? cha- his channel just hit 500k, <laughs> like you know, subs. That's so crazy. it's like, yeah. I mean, and honestly, when you're first starting out, I mean, that's the time when you have the most room to make mistakes and learn from them. You know, like 
put stuff out there. If, you know, something doesn't work, that's all right. Just move on to the next project, you know? I mean, the early stuff is for you and for learning and growing your, you know, repertoire of what you like to shoot with and, and light and just the kind of work that you want to work on. You know, some people want to strictly go in the music video route. Others want to do commercials and narrative. Some people just love doc stuff. So it's like whatever really you know, resonates with you, go try to shoot that stuff. So. Yeah. Somebody asked tips for going freelance. So a couple of tips, whatever you got, that if somebody wants to like transition into freelancing. I would say the number one thing, definitely make sure you have a savings of a few months before you go out into freelance. And the beginning is going to be the slowest and it, it can hurt, you know, so mm-hmm. money for sure. Cause like you don't want to be struggling to pay bills and you know, mm-hmm. then you have to, jobs that you don't want to do and all that stuff i mean in the beginning definitely shoot anything and everything and just build that network but i would say the number one rule save money just so you have a backup to tap into and then you don't have to stress and that not stressing makes your work better and you can you know be more selective on taking jobs that you want to even if they're lower paid jobs you know like could be a super low indie feature situation and you know you're not going to make a ton of money but that's what you want to do so i would say Number one, that for sure, and two, network, network, network. Go out and just try and meet as many people as you can. I mean, you know, go check in with your rental houses. They always do parties, and bigger ones even do, like, events, you know, where other DPs are speaking, and that's where a lot of us will go and gravitate to learn as well. So you can meet a bunch of people there. Um, Any meetup groups that might be in your area, I highly recommend networking as much as possible. And, you know... Be active on social media. If there's someone that you like in terms of a director or something, like talk to them. You know, don't be annoying, but yeah. you know, reach out if you like their work. And if they're in town, try to grab coffee. And it's, it's all those little things. And just build relationships. Don't expect work right away from yes. those people. You know, now, this I mean? is this is gold because this is what I tell everyone. Like anytime somebody slides into my DM and they're just like, "Hey, man, here's this. Can you uh, critique it?" And I'm like, "Well, hi to you too. Like, don't just you right. know what I mean? Like, I mean." No, you're not going to get a free critique out of me. Like, I mean, especially when you're coming up, like, with that attitude, you know? So I feel like a little common sense goes a freaking long way. And those old days are gone when you just, like, pass along your, you know, your uh, business card without even, like, looking somebody in the eye. So I feel like that's gold, what you just said here, where it's just, it has to be a little bit more than that. And uh, just be patient. And I think going back to your answer, like, you're going to be patient if you have some savings, like where you can just play the game for a long haul instead of just like, I need something right now at this second. I need to give this business card and get their business right now because you might burn a bridge by doing that. That could be a very beneficial thing in the long run. You know? Definitely. Another thing too is like, don't be afraid. You know, you may not be able to go full-time freelance right away and that's okay. Like never be ashamed if you have a side gig yes. that pays your- because, you know, once again, when money is in the bank and you can pay your bills, the stress level's low and you yeah. can be more, you don't have to stress. So, you know, and you can go full time and just jump right into it, you know, but you also don't have to. It's like if you want to have, you know, a part time job or a side gig that you do or, you know, whatever, even if it's a freelance side gig that you still edit or whatever it is, it's like, don't be ashamed of that and feel like, oh, I'm not in it 100%, it means I can't make it. It's like, no, it's just, this is the transition. Different things work for different people. So find what works for you and and go with that. And this is so amazing because 
one thing that I just stress on so much is that at whatever point in my life, anything that I've done, it's got to be some naivete that anything that I've done, I just thought that was the biggest thing. Like I took right. so much pride in that, that sometimes I was made feel a certain way by friends that, hey man, slow down. It might not be as big as it is in your head, but I just gave it 1000% because I thought I was just making money moves. I was just climbing up. I was doing these big things and I feel like embrace that naivete and have that attitude because ultimately then you produce the best work regardless of, you know, because then you're not prejudiced. It's not like I'm going to give my 100% to this and I'm going to give my 30% to that because when you give your 30%, other people are not stupid. They see right through that and, you know, that's the end of that, you know? Definitely. No, I completely agree. I mean, you have to you have to find that balance and it's tough. I mean, it goes down to going with your gut, you know? You'll know the right time to leave. I mean, it took me two years before... Uh, like from the day that I, you know, thought about leaving and like, man, I got to get out of this and start DPing full time. Right. And, you know, it's like it took a little bit to work myself up because it's a big change. I knew I was going to be starting from scratch. I mean, right. yes, I have fine talent people that I could connect with. But still, it's like I'm not known as a DP. I was known as a gaffer. So, you know, it's a transition you have to kind of deal with and it'll be slower in the beginning and, you know. There's different paths for everyone, so figure and I out think, what works. And I think it's very important because, you know, I think it happens in every field, but having that flexibility, I think it's a very important point that, you know, people think freelance or full-time. You know, freelance could in the beginning be a uh, side hustle, you know, and that's what it was right. for me when I was working with this motorsports company. That was my fr first job fresh out of college. I was making pennies, dude, like pennies. I was not making any money. But if it's consistent, right. my wife and I had insurance. So like all those things, like things that it checked the boxes, like, you know, on all those like little stuff, like we were paying our rent. We were not like thriving, but it was just enough to kind of, you know, get us by. And then with that, I started doing some weddings on the side. Then I started doing some corporate gigs on the side. Then I started like building this connection where I'm just like, hey, guys, I can do more than just shooting like this corporate gig. And then they're like, oh, what else? I can edit. I can color. I can build a deck. Like, and then it just like start, that started becoming like a real thing eventually. Exactly. So that's what I'm saying. Like, I mean, it doesn't need to be, you don't have to go cold turkey. And I think that's a very important distinction because so many people are just like, man, I don't know, this lifestyle is too much for me, blah, blah, blah. But once you understand the pros of freelancing or like once you become an S-Corp and then, you know, t get these incentives, you know, from the government, like there's so many freaking things that you can tap into. And then when you see all of that, then it's almost like a level playing field, like full time to freelance. But then it becomes more of like a, in one, you're a shot caller and you're you're actually collaborating instead of like just following orders you know so which one is it for you you know and then you get to decide yeah, and it's tricky i mean being freelance definitely has its ups and downs you know what i mean there's slow months and there's great months and you know the one thing and and maybe it's not for everyone and that's okay too I mean, that's totally fine jobs out there that aren't freelance that are still in the film industry where you can do what you want to do you yes. know i mean you can be a full-time cinematographer at a large company right. you know and shoot all their stuff so right. like that as well so no one outs and don't ever feel like you have to go this route because these people do it you know what yeah, i mean yeah, yeah. Um, or they, they make it sound cool like if you and i are just talking about we're talking about all these different projects we get to work on this and that it's great but like you're saying 
do you have a stomach for it? You know, because I like to keep myself on the edge. Like, I like to just stand there and feel like the rush, like that adrenaline oh, kick. Like, I'm a junkie. But then I know so many people that, like, get a freaking heart attack just hearing about my lifestyle and, like, how sometimes, like you're saying, December through February, you know, is, like, dead. So it's like, you know, I got to save up and I got to do all that. Then summer is super hot, you know, for me. So it's like, you got to figure all those things out and can you do it? Like, you know, and, and it takes it takes time. Like, you know, how do you, once you get that fat check, how do you hold on to it and then figure out how am I going to stretch this for this many months, all that. So, I mean, you know, the freelancing, like we can have a whole hour long conversation on that. I want to move on to the next question. Top three factors that determine your overall shot for a particular scene. So I guess the question is like three things that you kind of are thinking of when you're lighting a certain scene? I would say just off the top of my head, story, time limit, and you know what I have available. Those all kind of determine the shots that we create. I mean, if it's narrative, I'm always story-based. I mean, I always will ask a director if they give an idea of like, oh, we should push in here. Even if I agree, I'll be like, well, why? And if, you know, hoping to hear their reasoning, so it makes more sense there's no right or wrong but i try not to in terms of camera movement you know just do cool shots to be cool it's like you always have to Love factor it. in story first you know because that's what you're you're really doing and usually if you know the story well and after going through you know pre-pro with the director it's like you know what's best for the story and then there's the beauty of what happens in the moment too i mean you might shot list and storyboard one look and then on the day the actor's standing in you know to check lighting and put camera in a different spot and you're like this is great we're going with this and so you kind of have to feel out those different aspects but it once again it all depends in a commercial setting it's like it's opposite it's boards first you always shoot yes but they first and then if there's time in the schedule then you can go ahead and, and get more creative but always shoot their boards first and i would say for me it's pretty even in terms of like some people always, like you asked, it's like, do you go for lighting first or camera first? It depends on the job, but like, they're pretty 50-50 for me. You know, there's there's some shoots where it's natural light and you're not worrying about lighting right. as much, you know, depending on what it is, don't get me wrong. Day exteriors can be intense, but, yeah. um, you know, you might be shooting like a fashion branded piece and you just kind of have to go with the flow and right. move the model around as much as you can and you don't have control to light, you know, and then that's where it is. It's all camera based at that right. point. So it, and I think like leaving your emotions at the door and I love what you just said, like, you know, where it's just determined, you know, on the job, like you might have your preference that you like to light this way and you like to shoot that way and you know that you can nail that look and it can look great. But ultimately, it's just like like you're saying, you know, and same thing when it comes to editing, too, like when I'm editing, you know, uh, commercial stuff is just like here are the board boards. And then this is where the VO goes, go. And it's almost like when you start every project, you're kind of like, well, you could have just gotten anyone to put this together. Like, what am I really doing here? But then you start right. putting it together and then there's those nuances and those little things that, you know, calls that you make as an editor and you're like, oh, okay, that makes sense. Like, there's still a lot of creative freedom. It's just that yeah. once you give yourself the permission and you leave your ego like at the door and you just kind of go, I'm going in with an open mind because ultimately it's the creative director's baby. I'm just mm -hmm. here to babysit 
So I'm gonna do my best that this baby is not dead by the time they come back and pick him up. You know, so I was like, there'll be times too. Is like as a DP, you come in and you're like, oh, this is the way, you know, I think is best. Like even even if you've already talked with the director and everything, and then on the day they see it and they're like, you know what, like whether it's a backlight or a certain framing or something, and they're not really feeling it and they want to go a different route. It's like you can't take that stuff personal because 100. the whole collaboration is throwing ideas out there and nothing is right or wrong you know there's the times when i guess you can have more serious conversations and fight for what you're going for in your battles because there there will be those times but you know if the director says or client says like we don't like this that's okay it doesn't mean you're bad at your job it's just not right to them for this spot and that's fine I love it. I love it. Uh, let's let's put some more emphasis on this. This is so important because so many people take it to heart and they just think that either they suck or the client sucks and it has nothing to do with those things. Like what Kenneth just said, this is gold that if somebody if you're not your mentality or your style is not aligned with someone else, that has nothing to do like they're two different things. They're completely different things. And it's like, you know, I exactly. So I couldn't agree more and I feel like if you again free yourself of that burden that you just like take everything upon yourself it's just so much easier to kind of bring your a game and then when somebody else tells you hey i like these three things and i don't like these two then instead of like taking it personally you just look at it creatively and you're like what can we do to just make it better and keep moving up keep moving up and ultimately the product is going to be great other than you just rebuttaling for just the sake of it because you know you think that they're just going against you for no reason, you know? Love that. Right. Um, now it's going to be some personal questions. Personal questions in a sense that I want your preference. Not personal yeah. questions, but preference. And, and one of it is, uh, I think the question just came in here. Somebody said, hey, name your favorite cinematographer and why? Ooh, there's so many good ones. The, I would say, I can't pick one. I'll name like my top two. And they're fairly cliche, but Darius is one of them there's something about he has this rawness to him and i'm a big film shooter so i love he shoots a lot of his stuff on film and there's just there's something with him where he pushes things so much i mean even like if you look at um oh what is it lost city of z like how green it is and i'll be honest after i look at some of those images and I, I think if I saw, at least in my head, when I'm looking at him, like, man, if I saw that much green, I'd almost be like, shit, we got to dial this back. Yeah, 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 100. And it works. So, like, right. I, I just like how ballsy he is in terms of his looks because, like, some of them are pretty extreme, you yeah. know, or depending on what Dude, it is. I so, love it, yes. Yeah, and then Roger Deakins, for me, just for his naturalism. I mean, the guy, he's a legend, we all know, but there's something about his work that just seems so effortless, even though you know it's not, and everything just feels right you know nothing it belongs yeah it just belongs and nothing stands out to where you're not pulled like there's just this cohesion between the cinematography and the story and like yeah it's the right move for that story and every cinematographer would do something different but like those two to me stand out as my favorites so i just love their work and i actually I- like your picks because they're they're kind of extreme you know and and that's what's great because one is just pushing the envelope, like, or even like, you know, the, uh, I can't think of the name, but the cinematographer on the first two John Wick movies. I mean, this guy is like, you know, he's always just, he's there, you know, like where you just feel like 
if you push the camera a little bit more, like it just is gonna give. You know what I mean? Like you know, because it's like he's playing with these different colors and RGB lights, and they're just sitting on like the edge. You know, where <laughs> it's just like oh. because even as a as a colorist, I look at it and I'm like. Okay, bro, you cannot push it more. And he's just keeping it at that edge. And I'm like, okay, I love you for it. Like, this is amazing. And then, like, Deacons, I mean, you know, him coming from the documentary side, I think helped him a lot. Because yeah. the 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 dirt that he leaves in there, you know, like, even, like, in Sicario, um, he just talked about, like, how there's so many imperfections. Like, the camera is bumping into something or, like, you know, like, it's almost like right. when the person is walking and they just, like, stepped over a pebble or something. Like, let it be. And it's, like, those little nuances, everybody feels it. That's why we say, like, Deacons has this natural style. And oh, yeah. that takes perfection, man. That doesn't happen overnight. And the, and the thing that I want to chime on is, like, his uh, 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 Mitch Paulson, his colorist. Yep. It's he Mitch Paulson says that the grading sessions on Deacon's movies are the fastest and obviously oh. for one reason you know the lighting is just so on point and everything is so great but two he said Deacon's will sit with me for the entirety entirety of the movie which is insane because usually you think about it and you're like this is so intimidating to have a freaking DP just sitting there while you're grading but he said Usually, it like an average for a movie for a feature film is about three to three and a half weeks to color it. And he's like Deacon's movies, like he finished uh, 1917 in two weeks, dude. Like, I mean, it surprised <laughs> me. And also, too, like the Deacon's, you know, I mean, they both are. If you think about it, they're they're two different facets. I know Deacon's came from the film world as well, but like, let's just stay with his digital work. Recently, it's like the guy uses one lot. So a lot of what he's doing, unless there's special effects involved, is in camera. Yeah. So he's pushing himself and working at a speed where he can get it yeah. to that close of being finished. And then I'm sure there's minor stuff to do once you get into the grade. And then you have Darius Kanji where, yes, they're doing DIs and they're also color grading as well. But like he's shooting on, you know, right. film and all of that is in camera. And a lot of his technique, it's you know, pushing and pulling so you get different looks or using different stocks and, you know, all of his looks are coming from in camera, whether he's flashing film or bleach bypass or whatever it is, all of that. They're kind of similar in their ways. Yes. You know, it, it's just different aspects. So that that's one thing that I resonate with a lot too is like, if I can, I'll do it in camera for sure. The color grade brings out a different aspect of it too. But and it, once again, it's all, I keep referring to this, but it's all job based. Like you might be on a job where you don't have time to flag right. that wall. I know I can do it in the grade. So, and that's okay. But if I can get as much in camera, I will. And then you go from there. No, and I, I mean, like different, guys... different school of thoughts. And I just couldn't agree more because I feel like, uh, it's color grading when it comes to motion pictures, I feel like it's still such a brand new field that we're experimenting with it, we're playing with it, and like again, like so many different color sciences out there, and ASUS is one of those things that's gonna bring it all together, but it's not there yet, and Resolve is not really 100% supporting it, like I mean, the, the you know, as soon as you put everything in ASUS color space, like all of the panel controls and everything is just out of whack, you know, and it's like, it's not meant for that, it's still like living in that Rec. 709 world, how the controls work, so I feel like that transition is happening, so, that's why so many, like, you know, sometimes I'm watching movies in 4K in HDR and they look terrible. I'm not joking. Like, I mean, like a freaking, 
movies from the 80s looked better and I feel like the reason why that is happening is because it's just like there's too much happening all at once you know obviously shooting in digital cameras shooting in like this flat 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 it's like a black blank canvas how do you paint it then and sometimes when you're painting it you just make a mistake and then that mistake is just magnified when you're looking at it in HDR and 4k so I feel like everybody's finding that whereas you see people like Deacons or Darius like you know they're sticking with tried and tested you know methods and when you see their work like it has that you know pristine quality and uh but i mean again like you know both are great like both are great like you see john wake and everything is done in like tons of it is done in post and they're pushing it and pulling it and taking advantage of rec 2020 and all of that and then you see like 1917 and it's all natural you know or mad max like that's so pushed heavily i mean they did a ton of day for night work so it's like all those scenes, you know, that's all on your realm. It's all grading. You and it's know? amazing. It's my favorite. It's incredible. Dude. That's fun of this. It's like, once again, there's no right or wrong way. You could right. you could do it in camp, or if you know the look you're going for, you could do it in post. Exactly. You know, I mean, within reason. You within know, take reason. that with a grain. You, you can't you can't walk around with that shirt on like fix it in post. You know, you can't be that no, crazy. Against that, but like example in terms of doing it in post it's like yeah if you're shooting day for night you obviously can't do that right. in camera because right. it's for night you right. know like you could create a lot and get like a base but then you're really going to get that look once you're in your color yeah you know so i want to ask depends. you i want to ask you this thing and this is more of a i'm going to give you my personal take on it too but uh do you have a camera your go-to camera your go-to camera package like lenses and camera and i'll tell you mine Mine is not my specific camera, but I'm just going to give you a mentality behind it. And for me, the, and obviously I don't shoot professionally anymore. I mean, I'm doing all my stuff like, and I'm like whatever for fun and passion projects. But for me, I think camera does dictate a lot. And especially for my personal use, like if I have the right camera, it motivates me to shoot. If I have a camera that I just don't connect with, I'm not shooting and I feel like as cool and cinematic DSLRs are they never connected with me like I, I I went to school and we used HVX 200 Panasonic I don't know if you're familiar with it or not like it's you know and then we uh, threw a 35 millimeter like Lotus adapter or whatever oh, you know like so yeah, that's what I'm talking about so you know just <laughs> that whole route so I mean, I, I recently sold my C200. I went with Pocket 6K and used it nice. for like used it for like a month. And image is amazing. I just don't connect with it. I, I don't connect with it. It just it made me wanna just not shoot anymore. So oh, okay. So I'm curious what happened about it. Was it just like the size, or like was there anything once you were grading? that you found that made you not like I'm just curious yeah no no I know and I love it like I I think uh the functionality of the camera it's it's just not really meant for I, I think it's not meant for anything really because it's not meant for run and gun obviously it's not a one-man band like camera because you run out of battery before you put the new battery in and you know there's no autofocus on it or like how the dual pixel focus work on c200 because when i'm filming myself i just wanted to nail it i want to like talk i want to go in and out and i wanted to catch it catch it catch it like i don't need to be worried about like i got to do all this 
And then on top of it, if I'm doing a gimbal work, again, I'm doing a gimbal work, I want it to just lock in whatever focus. I don't have an AC standing there like doing that stuff for me. So I feel like those things for me personally and uh, skin tones, I still have to go with Canon, man. Like, I mean, I feel like you got Alexa, which is literally like the creme de la creme. Like, you know, that's the golden standard when it comes to skin. Then right. red is amazing because red just gives you 16-bit image. You can do whatever the hell you want with it. But I feel like Canon, uh, you know, Canon C-Log is just effortless. It's like the second close thing to like Alexa when it comes to skin. And I feel like with, yeah. with Blackmagic, I have to go in there and I have to isolate skin and I have to get it, I have to nudge it. I have to give it that little push. Whereas with Canon, the, it's like the skin is the center and then you grade around it. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, I think each camera obviously has their minute differences, whether it's color science or what it can shoot and all of that. I mean, for me, I would say, A, my number one thing, and this is always, is it's it's just a tool for the job. So that a lot of factors come into play. Budget, you know, what you're actually trying to do. Is there more high speed? Maybe, Ooh. you know, the Alexa going for and red is the better way or Phantom, depending on right. how are you trying to be more discreet because you're shooting dock work? So maybe the 6K is better for that, you know? Yeah. So it all, or if you're trying to, if you're doing narrative and you have an Alexa on, but you're going to do a ton of tight car work or bathroom stuff where you can't put the Alexa in there. So it's like, yeah, you might need to have a B cam, which is the Black Magic mm -hmm. Pocket 6K or something. Love it, yeah. Something. So for me, it all depends on how I find myself definitely shooting more on the Alexa, whether it's the Mini or, I mean, even long ago i was shooting the classic a ton you know it just it just all depends but i would definitely say alexa i don't shoot on red as often um and not necessarily for any particular reason i am shooting a short coming up in the next month uh on the monstro so that'll be fun that would be just because awesome. that's is kind of what we're going for with that one sort of like a if beale street could talk look um nice. but yeah i mean I think it. I think it all just depends on what the you know what works for you. It's like for your situation, you know, doing a lot of the YouTube stuff and everything. It's like that all makes perfect sense. And then in terms of color science, yeah, I, just, I think it would depend on turnaround of post or what you yeah. have available. You know, and for you, your eye is definitely probably more tuned into the color side. You know. So it, it's like a, it's like a beautiful mind, you know, like it's like you bring me yeah. the image and it's like you bring me the log image and I'm going to do two things. And it's like a mechanic. I take my car to a mechanic and he tells me 16,000 things that I never knew. And I'm like, wait, what's going on with my car? So it's like when it's right. really easy, like for me to, uh, you know, recognize that. And I feel like uh, the OG uh, cinema camera, like the Blackmagic cinema camera, you know, like the Polaroid looking one. I feel like that thing was completely off. Like that orange would look red on that. You know, the color science was like completely gone. And I feel like they've just come a long way. But now just going back, because what I've been recently doing is like I pulled, you know, out some of my stuff that I shot with my C212 bit. And then I brought it in and I just recreated some stuff. And it took me like two seconds. And I'm like, whoa, like, you know, it just where it puts like the 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 colors that you just get out of like straight out of the camera like again like i said right. you know it's probably the closest thing to alexa and that i mean just kudos to canon because it's it's crazy because their specs are never sexy because you know, c200 is shooting in 8-bit 420 so you would think that dude this is like this makes me want to puke like how do you even work with that 
but I can right. pull keys. I can do everything with it, and there's no banding. Like it's just it's ridiculous. It's amazing. Um, yeah, a lot. I mean, for me, like, I mean, I'm also a huge film guy, so I shoot on Super 16 a lot. Um, but I mean, I've been on jobs where it's like. I've been on a lot of fashion shoots even where it's like we're it's awesome because we're shooting on super 16 but then so for cool. safety they want to digital and like sometimes that has been a gh5 or like an a7s you know it's oh, like they're yeah. putting the home side and then they're like this is what we'll shoot on and it looks great i mean so it all just depends but i would definitely say the majority of what i'm shooting on is the mini or some form of alexa and then recently i have done like i did a doc job on the black magic pocket 6k um, it was like six days long and got some great stuff out of it. It was just nice and easy. I mean, we put it on a Movie Pro because we had to do a ton of like following along kind of stuff. And then, yeah, Aton XTR. I shoot a lot of Super 16. So That's those it. are, I would say, my top three right now. But Let me ask you this. If you were to make a recommendation to someone who's starting out, who's on a shoestring budget, uh, two questions. One like a camera package recommendation if you have any like on a super super low budget and two do you do you suggest renting over buying somebody who's starting out i don't know i want to hear your take on it um it's tough so i don't own cameras um don't get me wrong i want to i just can't get myself to drop 70 grand you know i have the clientele in terms of commercials where i'm sure i could make my money back but right. uh me, I've mostly always rented. Um, so there's that. I mean, I did have, you know, the A7 for a while, and then I bought the earlier Ursa Mini Pro and then got rid of that, you know. But so, like, I've had cameras throughout, but like, honestly, when I had those, I was more using them for like passion projects or smaller one man band stuff early on. Because um, now there's so much access to cameras. And so you don't have to buy. I would say personally, don't buy unless you have the clientele that you know you can get the return on it. You know, if that's the route you're going. But if you just want to have a camera to shoot, that's okay too. And in terms of recommendations, I would say on the cheaper end, definitely right now, I'm thoroughly impressed with the Blackmagic Pocket 6K. I mean, you have the anamorphic option, so there's just a broad range that you can do with it. Uh, A7S is great too. I'm not a huge fan of Sony, but, you know, we use it and it's still a great tool. Uh, I think it, it comes down to, for me, lenses are more important than like what sensor I'm shooting on. I mean, you get that there is definitely like sensor lens combos. I mean, right. I could hook speed pancros on an Alexa Mini and I'll see more patina out of those lenses and characteristics than when I've put cook speed pancros on an FS7. It's, there's right. something with that that it just has a little more sterile vibe and you just don't really get the characteristics of it. Um, so, I mean, there's that as well, but I'm always more into lenses and filtration. That's just, if, if I had to sacrifice camera, I would. Um, depending on what the, you know, what we need for the job, for sure. I mean, and so. I think it's a great answer because I used to be crazy, like a super nut about like getting, like owning a camera. And then eventually I've just learned the balance that you're talking about where let me just have a camera for my personal stuff and not necessarily get a camera that I'm going to use for the client and for myself because that's a slippery slope. And you don't want to get there because you just 
you sandwich it in. You pad it into the cost of like whatever project you're working on, and then you go out there, you get the Alexa Mini, you get the lenses you want, and everything is paid for because client is paying for it. So then that way you're not making any sacrifices. So it took me a while to get there. And another thing that I um, notice is that glass is, I, I couldn't agree more. I feel like glass makes a huge difference. Do you have any specific recommendations for glass for people that are just starting out? Um, the Leica R's are great for, you know, on the cheaper end and they have a real cinematic look. There's like a softness to them that I love when they're wide open. Um, I have a set of Cine modded Nikkor primes and they're cheap to buy and they have awesome look. I mean, they're, I would say they're the cheaper version of Leica R's. So in terms of like budget friendly lenses, you know, that's a great route to go. I mean, I shoot a lot of bigger jobs on like ours sometimes. It just depends, you yeah. know, so there's that as well. And then uh, in terms of like, I don't know, cinema lenses, it's tough to dive into of like what to buy because there's so many options. Um, I mean, you have the Tokina Vista Primes and stuff that are great, but that, I mean, that's just a different level. I mean, right, that's right, right, it's exactly. a lot. I think it just depends on what you're trying to do. I mean, there's nothing wrong with owning camera. I mean, it has its perks too. It's like, as we all know nowadays, like there's the whole, you know, DP owner op situation yes. and that can get you more, you know, but it really just depends. Oh no. I know friends that like will own like an Alexa mini and it's like four buddies that pitched in and own an Alexa mini. And now they just have it on share grid and they're renting it out until they're shooting their own project. So they're making a little exactly. bit of money out of it and they figured out the game, you know, to like where it's not just sitting and collecting dust. So it really comes down to those things too, but ultimately it's going to be like, you got to make the right move. Like what is going to be beneficial for you? And again, I think we can, we can slide that whole aspect that I'm talking about in there too, like where, what motivates you to go out there and do something with it? You know, so like I owned, a, it was a Nikon D800 or I think it was D800, is that right? Nikon D800 or D850? So it's like one of like the high-end like Nikons that I bought and I am not, like I, I have everything Canon. My wife is a photographer, so we have like Canon gear and that's our ecosystem. But I just went with that Nikon, whatever I read up on it and everything, and then I got it and I had, I bought like a Sigma 1.4 with it, like, you know, 85. And then I just started like going around town and started taking pictures with it and I'm like, I'm waking up at 5.30 in the morning, I'm chasing light, like I just pop in like these spots and I'm like shooting stuff and today I was going through it and I'm like, this is all dumb stuff. Like, this is all dumb stuff. Like, what was I doing, you know? But it did, so like, it, it, it did something to me, like I was possessed, like I got so motivated to go out there and do it, you know? So I think there's something to say about that and that's, I, that's oh, why I wanted like to ask you that, yeah. If you have a camera, it only motivates you to go shoot. I would say early on, if you're just starting out, like get a camera because you might get those smaller one-man band jobs, you know, that, you know, gives some money in the bank, but it also gives you an opportunity to work with new people and, you know, could be a cool job. So, you know, early on, having a camera, I think, is best. It's, like, it's once you start getting in the larger commercial side of it. If you want to go that route, that's fine. I know a bunch of buddies who have small camera houses out here in New York and, you know, they started from like one camera and now they have multiples and, you know, the, they just kind of grew from there. But I think what gets trickier is like obviously overhead once you get into that, you know, higher yes. end stuff. And too, it's like you might have to have doubles of things. It's like 
you have a Teradex system and you only have one and that goes down and you're on a large commercial, now what do you do? Oh, you dude, can't call that's, that is such an and, important point. That's, and that's such an important point to, and this hurts the most because things. this hurts the most because it's like right now, like now I'm transitioning my wife from uh, Canon to Sony because you know, mirrorless cameras are just so easy to use. Yeah. They're so light and like she, poor girl, like walk, like used to carry 5D Mark III with like these bulky lenses and everything. And I'm like, listen, you, you got to try the Sony route and see what happens. And she did and she's like blown away. So now we're shifting to that. But now, like you said, we got to double up on everything. So we got to have a backup camera for her. We got a backup lens for her. And it's like, then that's where the cost like just starts adding up. And like just knowing the things and like if you take care of your gear too and it also depends are you renting this out all the time to other people and you're not around it or is it just going out with you when you're shooting so right obviously if that's if it's just going out with you it's probably being taken better care of hopefully others are taking care of your gear too but it's the rental game and things happen but um yeah it's just something to think about on the larger scale so there's no right or wrong answer it's just kind of find out what works for you if you have a bunch of clients that you know, they're, they want to shoot. I mean, I have some directors who in the treatment, it's like, we want to shoot on the Alexa mini, blah, 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 blah. blah. And it's like, it's like Jesus. baked in there. Yeah. 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 And that's fun. Uh, that but is not fun. A, right. I to it. it. Now I would, I would speak my mind if they're like, we want to do a ton of high stuff for like frames a second. It's like, oh, then we're not shooting on the Alexa. No, exactly. We're not doing that. Yeah. That wouldn't make any sense. Uh, Kenneth, I mean, I've already taken half of your day, brother. How do, I mean, first of all, you're so generous with your time and I love you for it. Um, any, Thanks for having me. Any parting advice, like for, again, I mean, we talked about it so much, but I feel like I'm always looking for little angles, like little gems that I can we can provide to people that are listening. Um, I, like I said, I know you covered everything, but I mean, if there's one thing, like one of those questions, like if you were to start over again, would there be anything that you would do differently or would you keep everything the same? Like, I don't know, like last last few words. Um, I don't know if I would, I mean, there's definitely things I would do more of. I would have networked more earlier on, shoot more tests and just be more proactive. I think that's the biggest thing is put yourself out there, shoot little projects, even if it's on your own. And post them. Get them out there in the world. Get used to getting critiqued. See what works, what doesn't work. Ask your friends what they think. You know, just be as proactive as possible and have fun with it. Doesn't mean you have to go do a, a twelve hour shoot day. You could shoot something short in a couple hours or just do you know, say you wanna just test lighting with practicals and just play around and that's what I think is gonna be the best thing is going out there networking, trying to meet a bunch of new people and shooting as much as possible so you get that confidence to go with your gut and you know what you like and and don't compare yourself i went through a phase man and i'm speaking straight from experience but early on in my career i compared myself way too much to all these other awesome dps and everyone has their own path everyone's at different stages everyone's also all going through the same thing so when you think man i wish i had this job or i could shoot these things that person above you is wishing for that thing the step above you know so like we're all same things but just it's great to look at other people's work you can learn a lot from it try and break down how you would like reverse engineer what they and and don't yeah just don't worry about what other people are doing but enjoy what they're doing instead and go out and apply that to what you want to do and i would say that's the best advice that i can give 
dude, I want to I want to play this advice on repeat because this is it literally there's so many gems in there because that is it. Like again, I just keep going back to that that there's so much noise nowadays and like these one line like you know, advice that we get everywhere and memes and everything. So we're just like kind of deaf to all of it. But if people right. just, you know, hear what, you know, what you just said and what that is and the meaning behind it, I feel like if people run with that, so much can be different. And ultimately, totally. it's going to come down to, ultimately, it's going to come down to like intuition experience. And that's going to happen over time. So you got to just, you got to be patient um, and just run with it and do your best. And I couldn't agree more, go out there and do it because I've been like in that situation where, I'm just prepping, 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 and then I go out there and do it, and I F up. Like, I had no idea. I'm like, whoa, but I mean, I watched this video and that video, and I thought I had it in the bag, and it just fell apart, you know? But then the beauty might fall into something that you didn't expect, and it's one of those happy accidents, and you found gold, and you're like, I'm doing this from now on. It's going to happen, exactly. So, so I mean, I'd say, like... Just know, like, this is a hard industry, man. Like, there's so many voices and people talking to you, and there's, it's competitive and being freelance struggle. It's like, it's hard, but have fun with it. It's okay. You'll get comfortable with the uncomfortable parts. Yeah. And have fun and just go out and make stuff and create with friends and always pull yourself back to it. We, we originally started doing this before money was involved. So just try to bring that to every project and, and work with people you love and don't deal with bullshit. That yeah, has to be route. that has to be in the forefront. I love what you said that you know be smart about how you attack this industry and like there's nothing wrong with having a little side gig because that's gonna give you the freedom to have the preference, get to work on the projects that you want to do, and ultimately that's gonna shape the trajectory of like where you're going to be five to ten years from now. So for Kenneth to make that call that I don't want to gaff anymore, I don't want to be in LA anymore, I'm going to make all these decisions, it's too much at once and he just, he ran with it, he's done it and like now he's on the other side and it's, there's so many times when that happens, like I get this question, well I tell people, go do this and they go, well Kazi, it's easy for you because you got a following. Well, I didn't have that following seven months ago or eight months ago, like I mean I was in the same boat, like I mean it just everybody has to start from zero so it's like that attitude is just such a defeat like you know when i hear that like where they're just like well it's easy for you to say this or it's easy for you to do this it's like nobody starts there we had to make those decisions you know yeah no i completely agree and like definitely you know just when it gets tough that's when you should push yourself to go further like don't just don't give up because like it does get hard and like it can be super just times but in those moments that's when maybe like take a break and like don't do anything film related in terms of like you know on your off days when you're not on sets like go to the museums go watch movies like enjoy the fun of it and then come back another day and push even harder and just keep grinding because it's a, it, this industry is such a time game and it's very easy, especially with social media now, to get stuck in yes. where you think you can be, and everyone's path is completely different. And there's no right or wrong way. You know, you can get great advice on what to do, but my way may not work for others. You know, so that's another thing to keep in mind as well. So, brother, thank you so much. Love you for thank showing you, up. Man. Thank you, everyone, for showing up from both Kenneth's side and my side. Kenneth, tell people where they can follow you, where they can check out some of your work. 
You can find my work on my website, kennethkeeler.com, and I'm the most active on Instagram, so kennethkeelerdp. And I just want to also put this out here. I know there's some questions we didn't get to. Don't hesitate to hit me up if you have questions. If I have time, I'm more than happy to chat with you guys and help out any way I can. So definitely hit me up, and thank you guys for tuning in. It's been fun, man. Thanks for having me. All right, thanks, brother. I have a good one. Guys, if you enjoyed this episode, share it with friends, subscribe to this channel, and I will see you in the next episode. Peace.